In 2016, Ian Cron, an Episcopal priest, and Suzanne Stable wrote The Road Back to You, and Zondervan Publishing released the book The Sacred Enneagram. The Enneagram, a supposed tool of personality analysis, was then unleashed and has become one of the most popular, widespread, and celebrated teachings in the evangelical church in recent years. There are Enneagram books, podcasts, blogs, trainings, YouTube videos, social media pages. One pastor even preached an entire sermon series on the nine types, where he found characters from the Bible, guessed their type, and taught the Enneagram using the Bible. But where did the Enneagram come from? And why is it true? Is it based on science, psychology, personality theory, or something else? The origins of the Enneagram are a bit complex, to say the least. But we do know is that its roots are based in esoteric thought, mysticism, sacred geometry, New Age teaching, and it gets even weirder. Things like automatic writing and strange revelations from an angel or spirit guide named Metatron. Do you want to know where the Enneagram comes from? Do you want to know what it really teaches? If so, buckle up, because it's about to get weird. Welcome, everybody, to the Beards and Bible podcast. Today is episode 27. We have been doing this podcast for over a year now, which is kind of crazy to think about. So, Gabe, happy one-year anniversary, my friend. Thank you. Yeah. What do I have to show for it? Gosh. (laughs) (laughs) You said 27 episodes? 27 episodes, man. Isn't that crazy? That is. Yeah, we started this in April of 2020 because we were both quarantined. Not quarantined. We were, what, what, what's the word? We we weren't, we, we were on lockdown. Is that we the word? Sequestered. Yeah, we just had nothing to do. So we were like, let's do a podcast. And then mm. my, how, my, my, what a year 2020 was. It's like, hey, Josh, are you bored? Yeah, I'm bored. You want to start a podcast? Yeah, let's start a podcast. And then three months later, the world kind of resumed, like, <laughs> resumes back to normal. And I'm like, Oh, I'm not yeah, yeah. bored anymore. Like, but no, it's it was a great idea. And yeah, uh, well, I would say that the world never really got normal in yeah. 2020. So it kind of we we rode the waves. Cause it's mm. kind of like, man, we started this whole thing. Our first episode was about pandemics, and we were like, wow, it's crazy. We're in a pandemic, isn't this crazy? <laughs> we're the only person talking about that. Um, <laughs> and then it, the world just got crazier and crazier and crazier, and uh, yeah. It's been a wild ride, my friend. Yeah, wild hopefully, ride. hopefully, uh, people who listen, in addition to our wives, to, <laughs> to this podcast, have uh, hopefully it's it's helped you, encouraged you, and edified you in some way as you rode these wild waves with us. Yeah, but well, speaking of riding the wild wave of culture, today's topic is a. Uh, it's getting a lot of buzz right now on the interwebs hmm. from when we announced that we were tackling this topic uh, yesterday to even now. Um, it's been amazing. Just even mentioning this topic, it it stirs up strong responses in so many. And, um, and that hmm. is, of course, today we are talking about the Enneagram. Hmm. So... Uh, We'll talk about what it is here in a minute, but Gabe, when did, when did you first hear about this thing called the Enneagram? 
Hmm. Well, I think I heard it through Stacy, my wife, because um, she got really interested in it and uh, was doing a lot of research with it. And, um, you know, she's a psych major and she's always been fascinated by um, kind of, you know, dissecting people's personality and um, kind of trying to figure me out and unravel the mystery of my personality and that, that is a challenging one <laughs> to yeah. no avail no that's the but, yeah that's the mount everest of personality types. but stacy <laughs> if you know stacy she is like a human form of a really sweet people loving golden retriever you know mm. like she just wants everybody to get along um she loves everyone there's not a mean bone in her body um unless she gets hungry for too long and <laughs> <laughs> she she is going to kill me when she hears this. Um, but no, she, you know, she loves getting to know people. And the Enneagram was a really quick um, way to kind of like, pe- not peg people, that sounds kind of negative, but to learn a lot about somebody, because you can kind of put them in this category, and you know a lot about them, and you know, um, you can predict their behavior to a certain extent with the Enneagram. Mm. And and that was the thing, yep. it, it, was, it seemed kind of like, legit it seemed like kind of Mm -hmm. like it was true scary Um, accurate in some ways like very yeah yeah very much uh spot on and a lot of a lot of folks right and so she you know our many a times like many evenings our 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 dinner table would be filled with conversations about you know this person is this or that person is that and that's why they don't get along and and i think that's at, at its core that's why um she and others are really interested in it is because you try to figure out who who do I uh, kind of mesh with or who, who should I avoid or, or something mm-hmm. like that. And that's, that's at its core. I mean, maybe there's, maybe there's good, good motivations behind it, you know? So that's, sure. that's how I first yeah. heard about it. But what about you? Um, I would say it's probably, we probably heard around at the same time. Um, I think I first heard about it in maybe 2015, 2016. Uh, okay. We were, we were at uh, our church staff. We were doing different, um, tools for personality analysis. So we did like the disc profile yeah, um, to kind of find out what we were for that. We did the Myers-Briggs mm-hmm. to find out kind of what we were in that. And then the Enneagram was another one we did. And these were all done kind of for the purpose of just kind of seeing what personalities were on our team and how we could get along and how we could work together. And so at the time when I saw the Enneagram, I wasn't thinking of it as a, um, you know, anything less than, or anything more than just a tool for personality analysis to like help you work together as a staff, you know, mm-hmm. or, or team dynamics. And then it seemed like, man, I, I guess a couple of years after that, 2017, 2018, it just sort of just exploded. Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife found out about it and um, a couple of her friends found out about it. And, and it kind of became more than just what it, was initially when I was exposed to it, it was more like, okay, this helps you in your marriage. This helps you with your family. This helps you with your kids. This helps you with like even your relationship with the Lord. Like if you don't have this, you're, you're not really going to know how to get along with your spouse the way you need to. And, uh, somebody introduced, um, my wife and I to this, uh, lady by the name of Beth McCord who did trainings with the Enneagram specifically around like marriages and stuff. And so we went to like an Enneagram workshop mm. and like everybody 
there was married and it was like teaching people how to get along with, you know, different numbers and stuff like that. And, and, uh, yeah, man, it was just kind of a, I don't know. It was in some ways, like it felt really genuine and like everybody was there for the right reasons. In other ways we felt like we were at a giant sales pitch, Mm. like all of the Enneagram trainings and everything always had a price tag attached to it. And, uh, so I started kind of sniffing that something was awry and not, not really quite sure what it was, but it kind of just felt like it was a, yeah. So it's been a long, long time in terms of, I've probably known about it about five, six years, but just Mm. probably the past two or three has it exploded and then exploded. Then I kind of was like, ah, I don't, I don't really want to get into the hype behind it. You know, I still believed up until very recently that it was a very helpful tool to be used for good up until very recently. Well, I, I remember, you know, the, the last time we were up at your house, um, our yeah. wives were talking about the Enneagram thing. Like, you know, we were, I, I just kind of ha- have a, I don't know, I'm disinterested in all things personality test for some reason, just not because of lack of validity, but just, I, I don't know, this doesn't really interest me, but you know, Stacy is very into that. And so mm-hmm. my default, she was kind of carrying my weight in the Enneagram world, but you know, we didn't go to any <laughs> like workshops per se or anything like that, but you know, it was it was something that did did consume a lot of our conversation time, and, and mm-hmm. I, found, I did find it interesting. Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember just, what what you what you and your wife said your type was. What was your what was your number that was? See, that's was the thing. I always had to. I always had to ask her what my type was. I can never <laughs> remember. But that, I'm sure someone listening to this who's like super into enneagram is like, oh, that's totally a type oh, yeah, 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 something trait guessing. that you don't remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. No. But um, it's either it's something like one through nine. I know it's something in that range. But <laughs> <laughs> that really narrows it down. Well, wow. no, thanks. But no, and just, and just, just for like a, a disclaimer, like this is not us saying, you know, we were into Enneagram, then it got super popular and we're like, the, we're doing the hipster thing. And we're like, oh yeah, we were into it before it got cool. So now we're backing yeah. out because yeah, 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 it's, yeah. it went mainstream, no. you know? Yeah. No, I, and it's funny, it's funny that I'm doing this podcast episode because I have defended the Enneagram to many people mm. um, over probably the past six months. That people have had some concerns about it and they came to me and I was just like, no, that's, that's not, no, it's, it's actually a good thing. It's helpful. It's helped me in my marriage. It's helped me do a mm. premarital counseling and, and I've actually used it in premarital counseling. You know, if a couple's wanting to get married, I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about what, what's your Enneagram mm. number and, mm. and, and help them talk through it. And so, um, the whole genesis behind this particular podcast episode was a really, um, good friend of mine who's a leader in our church um, texted me and the elders in our church. And he texted me some articles from a lady by the name of Marsha Montenegro who runs a website called Christian answers for the new age. Hmm. And just out of a spirit of humility, out of a spirit of concern, out of a spirit of just truly wanting God's best for our congregation. um, This friend, Adam, He said, you know, brothers, I I really think we need to be familiar with the origin of this. Mm -hmm. We need to be familiar with what this is, how it came about, and what doors this thing is opening if if people really get into it. And it was a spirit of humility and concern. And to be honest, first, you know, when I first saw the text, I was just like, oh, brother, here we go again. Right. (laughs) But then I actually started... um, I started opening my heart a little bit and stopped being so defensive and started actually this, 
uh, sort of going down this this journey of really being open-minded and saying, okay, so what is this? What, what, where did this come from? Why is this mm. true? Right. Cause you always hear people go, oh man, it's spot on, but you never hear people ask why. Mm. Yeah. And that's the thing with the Enneagram is that there is a large grain of truth with it all. And it is, mm-hmm. it is spooky accurate in terms of um, pinning you down. Cause like, I remember what Stacy would read my type or whatever. And I'd be like, Ooh, yeah, that does sound like me actually. You know, and then you don't you sh- you need to you don't get along. You don't mesh well with this type, and so and so is this type. And I'd be like, oh yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, I hate that guy. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, that t- makes total sense. You know, and so you begin to like, I don't know, rationalize your your behaviors or uh, yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense? So yeah, it's, it, it is. It does. Yeah, there is there is like accuracy to it, and that's the thing that's very interesting. But people may be asking, well, like, well, you know, what is the biblical basis of you guys going through and analyzing this. Well, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test everything yes. and hold fast to what is good. So we have a biblical injunction by one of the fathers of our faith to when we when we something comes across our radar, um, you know, anything, we take it and we analyze it to the light of scripture and we say, is this holy? Is this biblical? You know, it does this does this have origins that are, you know, um suspect if you know, if so, I'm going to put it on a shelf. I'm going to leave it there. Mm-hmm. Um, and another story that kind of compels me to want to look into this is a story in Acts 19. A lot of people overlook when Paul is in Ephesus and a lot of people come to the faith and it says a number of those who practiced magic arts, they brought their books and they burned them in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. And when the value of the books was calculated, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. So in other words, when they accepted the gospel, they were like, we're all in. We're, we're not going to go through and take a year and like figure out, you know, what, which one of these magic scrolls are going to be like, you know, it's okay. Just, they were just like, let's just dump it all in the street and burn yeah. it all because we yeah. want nothing to do with this stuff. And, and, and here's what's fascinating too. If you study the book of Acts, when the gospel will go to some of these towns in pagan areas, fortune telling, just particularly that practice known as fortune telling was a lucrative business. Mm-hmm. And we have reason to believe that it actually had some validity. Like it was scary accurate. Oh yeah. yeah. You remember the slave girl in Philippi? Yeah. She would yeah. prophesy about people. Yeah. She, she would let people know. She'd like read their mail. Right. Yeah. So it, it actually had validity. It was accurate. It that, worked. Yeah. It told people stuff about themselves. They had no other way of knowing, but it had a spiritual origin that was different from mm-hmm. the Christian gospel. Yeah. It was not kosher. Yeah, that's the thing that a lot of Christians are ignorant of. They think, well, forces of darkness and d- the demonic realm, the satanic realm, it can't be accurate. So if it's accurate, it must be of God. Yeah. You know, like if a prophet stands up and is like, I declare fill in the blank, and it comes true, that is not by default a a, a Holy Spirit-inspired mm-hmm. prophecy, okay? Yeah. Like, just because they say it is, yeah. that doesn't mean it is. Well, and so here's the thing, too. Um People not familiar with the New Age movement and not familiar with things like astrology, psychics, fortune tellers, tarot cards, if they're not familiar with it, it's very easy to, to dismiss all of those things and say that every bit of that's fake. Mm-hmm. The only people that fall for that are people who are just desperate and hungry and looking for answers. Mm-mm, mm-mm. But if you start getting into that world, you find out that there are people that genuinely believe and they have seen and can attest to the kind of, you know, power and the validity of all of these things and that they they work, mm-hmm. right? 
And so us just saying, well, something works, it's accurate. It may have some pagan origins, but it works and it's accurate. So how can that be bad? Well, we have reason to believe in the Bible that just, just because it works, that doesn't make it mm-hmm. a good thing for Christians to take part in. Well, and, and two, it's important to remember, Satan works in quiet subtleties. Mm-hmm. He's going to lure us away from the faith, the, the faith delivered to us by the apostles and the gospel. He's going to do it in one tiny step at a time. And I mean, yeah. look, there's there's people like, you know, you and I went to college with who I haven't checked in on or talked to in years, you know, since we graduated, since we saw them. And and you hear things and you're like, wait, what? No. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, know, I know of a person who's like a, a tarot card reader. And yeah. I'm like, wait, what? How? Yeah. How is that even like? It's it's beyond my comprehension how they how they got to that point, but it's just subtleties over the course of fifteen years. It's just like okay, yeah. you take one step at a time, and then all these things are are validated because they they have power, mm-hmm. they have like significance in your life, and, yeah. and they mean something, and they come to pass or whatever. And then you're like, okay, I guess keep following this breadcrumb trail, right. and yeah. So it's well, it's and, and we, one we realize that one one feedback that somebody gave on a Facebook post when we said that we announced we were doing this topic is they just go, well, I believe the Enneagram, but like, I don't believe that demons are going to manifest if you start talking about the Enneagram. <laughs> and, and like, of course, that's not what we're saying. Right? right. Because that's not how Satan works. Right. I mean, Satan doesn't like, you know, <laughs> you start talking about Enneagram and <laughs> like, you know, there's a mm-hmm. guy with, you know, like the movie legend, he's got horns and a pitchfork and you talked of the Enneagram. You are mine now. <laughs> Like, no, it says in Genesis 3, now the serpent was more subtle and crafty than any other mm-hmm. creature in the garden, right? Mm-hmm. So so what was the serpent's deception? The serpent's deception was, did God really say that? Mm-hmm. Like, God's withholding something from you. There is something that this thing that God has said you're not supposed to do, there is something it has for you that is really, 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 really good. Mm-hmm. And you you can't limit yourself by saying you're not supposed to do that. You can't do that. This is what God just doesn't want you to know something. He's hold, he's holding something back. I've got he, hidden knowledge. I've got secret mm. uh, secret wisdom for you. Like revelation. Yeah, and and so um, what we're talking about today really matters. Like I really believe that, man. I've been praying about this. Um, most of you guys know we record this early in the morning. So, um, I've been praying about this all night pretty much, uh, just because this is heavy. Cause I mm-hmm. think this is a really, really big deal, but, um, yeah, well, let's talk about it. We're just going to talk about some things related to the Enneagram. And if you are new to the Enneagram, you don't know anything about it. We're going to talk about what the Enneagram is. So the Enneagram is a tool for personality analysis and the word Ennea just means nine in Greek. And so an Enneagram is like a diagram depicting numbers one through nine. And there are different lines connecting each number to two other numbers. Does Mm. that make sense? Yeah. So it's almost divided in quadrants. There's three different quadrants. Mm. And that's what I think confuses a lot of people when they look at that. They're like, okay, so I thought it was a personality tool. Why is there this weird little gram this diagram it looks kind of occultic i mean if you see the diagram and you didn't know what it was about you would assume it was just occultic which it is but anyway um so that's what it is and uh, there's a guy his name is claudia naranjo 
and he was a pioneer of kind of new age related psychological theories. And he popularized the Enneagram. He didn't come up with the Enneagram. We'll talk about kind of the origins here in a minute. But he was the one that's kind of credited for this method to where somebody discovers their number in the chart. And then they study the kind of the best and the worst traits of that number with the diagram. And so his ideas uh, were that every number on this chart has a particular personality type. And it's connected to two other numbers. So it's in that quadrant, right? So if you're a, a number uh, five, you're going to have a wing, right? So you're a five wing four, you're a five wing six or something. And one is supposedly your worst traits and the other is your best traits. Mm. And so there's a, like a, you know, Enneagram coaches, Enneagram experts will tell you, okay, so here's where your number is on the chart. It's close to this number. So that means you're going to struggle with this, or it's opposed to this number. That means you're not going to get along with people who are like this, or it's, you're similar to this. Um, and so for just the, you know, amateur Enneagramist, they're probably not going to get into all that, but people who are really into it are going to be the ones that kind of study the geometry of the Enneagram and kind of know where you mm -hmm. land on it. Does that make sense? Have you, you've, yeah. you've not really got into the geometry of it. And no, no, not so much. And just, yeah, me know, either. just, just that there's, you know, you have a primary and then you have wings kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, then the, there's your opposing, um, Enneagram. That's the extent of it. Yeah. Right. That and there's, exactly. there's a reason for the geometry part of it. And I'll talk about that here in a minute, but the nine types that Claudia Naranjo basically said that all people fall into one of these nine types and you can find out your personality from where your number is. So the one is the reformer. So that's kind of like your, your rational perfectionist type. The two is the helper. That's your caring and interpersonal type. The three is the achiever. That's your success oriented pragmatist type. Which, by the way, that was the number that I believed about myself up until very recently. Hmm. And that was what I was pegged as. The number four is the individualist. So that's the person who's kind of sensitive and withdrawn. The number five is the investigator. That's somebody who's like really intense and cerebral loving. That's the detective. That's always thinking about stuff. The six is the loyalist. That's the committed security oriented one. The seven is the enthusiast, so the busy, the fun-loving type. Eight is the challenger, the powerful, dominating type. And then the nine is the peacemaker, easygoing, agreeable type. Mm. All that sounds familiar, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Were you a four? Was that what you were pegged as? Um, no, I think, I, I think three sounds familiar. Oh, okay. So we're both think, threes. I think I've been told I was a three. Yeah, okay. So the Enneagram really started coming to prominence in the 1990s. But it was primarily in the business world. It was only in the secular world. You didn't hear about any Christian Enneagram coaches or Christian Enneagram writings or anything like that because it was kind of understood to have connections with the New Age movement. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, so that was kind of where it thrived. People would do like business workshops and kind of like how I came to it. It was like, you know, hey, you've got a team, you've got people you're working with, you need to know each other's type so you can figure out how to get along with each other. Here's a way to know each other's type. But over the past 10 years or so, particularly, particularly since 2016, 2017, it has exploded in the church world. Hmm. Like this is airware 
Like everywhere you go, man, you go to the Christian bookstore, you're going to see books on, you know, the sacred Enneagram, the road back to you, the Enneagram, a Christian perspective. Um, there's a guy named Richard Rohr that we'll talk about later, who's kind of credited for popularizing the Enneagram in the church. But um, yeah, man, it's it's blown up. I mean, and, and predominantly, I think I've seen it more around like um, college educated upper middle class people between the ages of 30 and 50. Hmm. Yeah. You're That's right. painting a very a broad brushstroke. I'll say 20 to 50 because I've seen some people under 30 that really get into it. That's a very broad brushstroke, but that's predominantly what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Like people that are kind of looking for self-actualization. They want to mm-hmm. understand deeper. They want to do research. Those are the kind of people it seems to, to really gain a lot of traction with. Yeah. I, I think I think the millennial generation really latched onto it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, me being a millennial on you know the early end of the millennial generation, we, we liked the... Yeah, like you said, the self-actualization aspect of of the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. So that's what it is. Um, and most people you talk to, when you ask them about the Enneagram, if they're really into it, they're not going to tell you that it's a, you know, they're going to tell you about the history of it or who came up with it. It's it's basically, it's a personality assessment tool. And that's that's what most people are led to believe about. That's what I believed about it for years. But when you start asking the question, who came up with it? I feel like we should like cue in really creepy music. <laughs> but there's a more to the story. Yeah. If you listen to the podcast Revisionist History by Malcolm Gladwell. No, I haven't. Oh my gosh. Great podcast. I feel oh. like I'm plugging this podcast. So Malcolm Gladwell, please give me all of your money. Your New York Times bestseller money. Um, his podcast is phenomenal, but there's like really cool like music that goes in between different acts of the podcast, and it's really intense. Cool. But we don't have that kind of production budget here at Beers and Bible Podcast. We should, we should get some of our kids to, to <laughs> edit some music in. <clears throat> My son is really obsessed with the song uh, "Can't Stop" by the Red Hot Chili Peppers right now. Nice. I don't know why I should, I was on a playlist as I was taking him to school and he's asked me to play it like 10 times. So this episode would have can't stop by the red hot chili peppers in it. But so cue in transition music to this next topic, who came up with it? Right? So here's the big idea. It's a personality analysis tool. It's apparently spot on. And if you've taken it, you would agree. It seems to have people pegged, but the big question is why who came up with it? Well, if you study the origins, it's a bit more complex than most people realize. The Enneagram's ideas first appeared in writing and first appeared in teaching by a guy named George Gerdoff. And he lived in the first part of the 1900s. He was most likely born, nobody quite knows, but probably around the um, years 1866 And he did a lot of writing. He was really into esoteric thought. And so we'll talk about what that is here in a minute. And uh, he had different followers. And the followers that he had was a guy named P.D. Ospensky and a guy named Oscar Echezo. And so here's what Gerdoff believed. Um, he, He apparently gave the story of having learned the Enneagram from the Sufis. So the Sufis were a mystical spinoff sect of Islam. 
And so that's where he said he learned about the Enneagram numbers and the Enneagram chart and all that stuff. But uh, that story has actually been debunked. So he did not get it from the Sufis. He said he got it from the Sufis, but he did not. Um, he was an Armenian teacher, not Armenian. He was Armenian. And he taught, this is Gerdoff, esoteric spiritual philosophies. And he based this on the knowledge that he supposedly gained through traveling and through contacting secret groups and through kind of meeting with these mystical sects of Islam and mystical sects of Buddhism. And, and so his, his whole writings, all this stuff, he, he claimed that human beings are not aware of true reality hmm. and they need an awakening of consciousness. That's super important. Yeah. Super important. So keep that, like make, make a star of that really. His whole thing was you need to be woken up. You don't really know what's going on. Your consciousness needs to be opened up. And so, so much of his writings about this thing called the Enneagram, you know, those are kind of grounded in that idea. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about what, what this whole thing of esoteric esoteric thought is for a second. Gabe, would you Google the internet definition of esotericism? So, just so we've got that. Terrorism. Or just esoteric thought. Because this is like super, super important to understand kind of the the bedrock of what the Enneagram is. Yeah. Uh, so let me pull this up here. Esotericism is the state or quality of being esoteric, obscure, and only understood or intended to be understood by a small number of people with special and perhaps secret knowledge. Esotericism often involves knowledge that's only intended to be revealed to people who have been initiated into a certain group. The word is closely associated with mysticism and the occult. Yes. So there was a group in the early church called the Gnostics. Mm -hmm. And you see this in the book of first John and a lot of other writings in the new Testament that so much of what we read in the epistles is the apostles and the church fathers basically combating this idea that the only way to truly be awake and to know what reality is, is to gain the secret knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this is the, this is what Gerdoff taught. Mm -hmm. You've got to go to, you know, a cave and contact the Sufi people and they're going to give you a hidden knowledge of, you know, you've always thought the universe worked like this, but I'm going to show you there's actually nine quadrants that all the universe could be divided into. And you fall somewhere within these nine. This is the secret hidden knowledge. And if you know this secret hidden knowledge, then you can be woken up to the idea of what everything's about, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the bedrock, right? So that's George Gerdoff. So George Gerdoff had a pupil and his name was P.D. Ospinsky. And P.D. Ospinsky wrote about George Gerdoff's teachings and he called this the fourth way. And he wrote a book, P.D. Spinsky did, and you can actually look it up. And it was called In Search of the Miraculous and the Fourth Way. And so Ospinsky started writing about the Enneagram in, in that book and other books like it. And he wrote about it um, in terms of like the law of seven, the law of three. He would write about like numbers being really representative of kind of how the cosmos operated. So like the entire universe worked, uh, you know, on these quadrants and these numbers. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to us, 
But if you're in this kind of esoteric new age thought, that makes perfect sense because that's what a lot of these guys are writing about and believing about and teaching about. And so this was Ospensky. He kind of popularized um, Gerdoff's teachings, at least in kind of new age esoteric circles. And there was a guy named Oscar Achezo. And Oscar Achezo heard about these uh, ideas and he was really into psychedelic drugs. So um, if you if you know anything about that, you can go back and listen to our episode we did on DMT. Um, there's a huge link between psychedelic drugs and the occult. Um, a lot of occult practices will say that you contact the spirit world through psychedelic drugs. So Oscar Chazo hears about the Enneagram. He hears about the Law of Seven, the Law of Three. He hears about this secret hidden knowledge that Ospensky wrote about that Gerdoff passed on. And Oscar Chizo basically began to say that he received further revelations about the Enneagram and the number from a higher entity called Metatron. Mm -hmm. Which if you Google search Metatron in the Cabal Mm. and the Cabal religion, which is like a spinoff of Judaism, very mystic spinoff of Judaism, Mm -hmm. um, that's considered like a spirit guide or an angel. Yeah. And Oscar Chazo basically claimed that his group that was really kind of fleshing out the Enneagram ideas was guided by an interior master. So this is really popular in new age um, circles, really popular in new age um, thinking like you've got a spirit guide. They're the ones that are kind of giving you this secret hidden knowledge. So, so far we've got George Gerdoff, his disciple, P.D. Ospinsky, Oscar Chazo, who really liked the drugs really mm-hmm. like smoking that uh, jazz cabbage <laughs> and uh, doing all sorts of other things, right? Okay, so follow me so far? Yeah. Then there's a guy, Claudia Naranjo. And if his name sounds familiar, that's because we mentioned him at the start of this podcast. He's the one who is widely credited as popularizing the Enneagram, talking about the nine types, using it as a tool for personality analysis. So here's what Claudia Naranjo did. He studied with Oscar Achezo, our, uh, our drug-taken friend, in Chile. He took the Enneagram teachings from Oscar Achezo, passed them on to different Jesuit priests, a particular guy named Bob Ox, O-C-H-S. The Enneagram teachings were brought into the Roman Catholic circles at the New Age Esalon Institute in Big Sur, California. So there's also a link between New Age thought and Roman uh, Roman Catholic mysticism. It's a pretty widely known thing, especially in like the 60s, 50s, and 60s. So that's kind of how the Enneagram got in the door of mystic Christianity. It got in the door through this place called um, the uh, Esalon Institute. So the Esalen Institute was basically a think tank in the 60s in Big Sur, California. It was a place where people would like play a lot of hand drums, get naked, and take a lot of drugs. Hmm. So, And that's, those are not my words. This is from people who were around it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so what they started saying about the Enneagram was that it had very ancient origins. Um, Claudia Naranjo uh, with Oscar Chezo, they would be like, man, this is from you know old wisdom. They started saying it was from the Sufis. They started saying it was from, you know, 
the desert fathers, there were, there were these monks in the deserts and they were hermits and they're the ones that came up with it. And they're just kind of rediscovering these kind of ancient paths. But in video interviews, um, Claudia Naranjo basically admits that he and Oscar Chazo lied about it. <laughs> mm. They didn't have ancient origins. It was George Gerdoff, P.D.S. Pinsky, and then Oscar Chazo. So there was no, there's no Sufis, there was no Desert Fathers, there's no Hermits, anything like that. So they knew that George Gerdoff um, basically made this whole thing up about the Sufis. Uh, Achaza was not the one that came up with the nine personality types. Um, Aspinsky had never taught about the nine personality types. Uh, Naranjo, Claudia Naranjo, the guy that popularized it, he's the one that came up with it, right? Hmm. So here's how he came up with it, the nine personality types. He had all this knowledge from Aspinsky, from Gerdoff, from Achezo. A lot of that came from, again, esoteric teaching, uh, psychedelic drugs, all these things, a spirit angel named Metatron. Naranjo stated that nine types came from automatic writing. Hmm. So if you don't know what automatic writing is, it is a claimed psychic ability where a person produces written words without consciously writing. Sounds uh, sus to me. <laughs> is that your ad brief for suspect? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah, so he claims that, you know, he had all this knowledge about the nine quadrants, all this knowledge about these esoteric thoughts about, you know, Inia and how the whole cosmos is divided into these nine things and everybody needs to be awakened to the true consciousness. And he observed kind of how that fleshed out in some people, but mostly as he sat down to write about the nine types, the pen just kind of took a life of its own and, and it was mm. revealed to him. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 That's super sketch. <laughs> yeah. So some people listening to this are going to go, no, 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 no. It came from the desert fathers. It came from a Christian hermit. It came from the Roman. Okay. We'll talk about that here in a minute. We're going to debunk that here in a minute. These are undisputable realities of the origin of the Enneagram. Um, we'll put a link when we post the show on the Facebook page of um, an article from Marcia Montenegro from Christian Answers for the New Age. She has in that article probably nine or ten references where she references all these things, including a video of um, Naranjo and Echezo basically saying, yeah, we we made a lot of this stuff up and a lot of this stuff just kind of came to us from automatic writing. Right. So if you're confused at this point, let me just give you a recap. The origin of the Enneagram is based in esoteric and new age teachings that basically claim number one, man is not aware of true reality and needs an awakening of consciousness. So we don't really know what's going on. We've got to have some sort of secret hidden knowledge to know what's going on. Number two, man's natural essence, who we are, is perfect. And we are, in our essence, in union with divinity. So there is a part of the divine that's in us, and it is perfect, right? Now, this is a, if it sounds like Christian theology, Christian theology teaches that we were made in the image and likeness of God. Mm -hmm. But because of sin, we've been separated from God, and we need restoration. That's not what esoteric teaching teaches. This teaching is something completely different. This teaching basically says that um, 
God is in us almost as if we are a God and we need to just know that we are a God. Mm, yeah, that's problematic. Yeah. And the third thing is that the geometric proportions of the diagram, the Enneagram, have special inner meaning and correspond to something called the sacred geometry of the universe. So this is kind of esoteric new age thought. If you've ever heard somebody talk about the feng shui in their apartment or, you know, the feng shui, all that stuff, that's, it's kind of this related idea that shapes have meaning that um, there's symmetry to the universe and everything has to kind of flow together. And the whole universe is made up of these quadrants and numbers and sections and geometry. That's, that's kind of the roots of this. So but isn't it also kind of like there needs to be, there needs to be balance in the universe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Almost like a, a Taoism, like a mm-hmm. yin and a yang, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What, that, that's what you, the, the essence of Enneagram is like, it's not that any of these personality types is wrong or that you're somehow flawed. It's just, you're, you're on a quest to find balance in your life through finding Enneagram types that you mesh with. Yeah. So forget like the call of the gospel that you get down and wash anyone's feet, even someone who's willing to betray you to your death. Forget, forget that, you know, that we're all made in the image of God, that we all should be willing to lay down our life for each other. It's like kind of like the self-help religion, this like subsect of, of Christianity. That's like, it's like, you know, figure yourself out. And then once you get that down pretty good, figure out who you, who you can, call friends you know like it's right it's right, this... right well and some people have tried to really christianize this um and we'll talk about that here in a minute but i i think the true essence of the enneagram is that it claims to be able to lead a person not only to self-understanding but to what what's called the integration of all aspects of the self and then like basically what gerdoff would have said is an awakening of the self right you're mm-hmm your true self is awakened and self is usually actually capitalized in a lot of the writings of Gerdoff and Ospinsky and even some of the more recent types like, um, you know, Claudia Naranjo, because in this kind of teaching, the self is considered to be divine. <laughs> mm. So like, you know, you capitalize the name of God in, in a lot of Enneagram teachers, they capitalize the name of self mm-hmm. and, Achezo believed that the nine numbers kind of represent nine divine forms of self. And so the, there's, there's different, almost, almost, I'm going to say like Godheads, almost like in Hinduism, how you have manifestations of the God Vishnu and all these kind of things. Um, you have manifestations of kind of the God that is in all of us, in all of our personalities. And supposedly the problem is that our ego distortions have tainted that, and so there's also these triads that your number is related to positively and negatively. And, and so all that, man, if you study all that, the roots of all that, that goes back to this whole like sacred geometry and really this Gnostic view that yourself is sacred and pure in essence. Yeah. And you have to transcend your ego to find your true essence. Yeah. And I, I mean, to a lot of people's credit, I don't think it starts off that way. You know, it no. wasn't that way with, with Stacy when she was really into it. And, you know, others I've, I've come in contact who are really into it. It's more like, 100%. I need to figure myself out. I need mm-hmm. to figure my spouse out. I need to figure my kids out. Yep. And then I need to figure out like why I don't get along with my crazy uncle at Thanksgiving. You know, right, and that's right, kind of right. how it starts. Well, for a and, lot of people. And, 
And 98% of the people I've talked to about the Enneagram, they don't know any of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Because what they've done is they've, they've taken a test online about it and they've you know listened to a podcast about it or watched a YouTube video about it. And they're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So if you go back to the origin of what Gerdoff actually said or what um, Naranjo actually said about it, that's when you start getting into all this stuff. Yeah. So I don't want to say that, you know, oh, oh gosh, if you're into the Enneagram, that means you're into all this stuff. No, you're not. Most most people don't even <laughs> know it, right? I didn't even know it, you know? I never used the Enneagram for this stuff. Um, but the Enneagram Institute, that's kind of the, the flagship uh, organization behind Enneagram teachings today. If you go on their website, they talk about the philosophy behind the Enneagram. And this is, this is me quoting them contains components from mystical Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Taoism, Buddhism, and ancient Greek philosophy, particularly Socrates, Plato, and Neoplatonist. Hmm. So the Enneagram Institute itself, like get it out of the, you know, Christian circles or, you know, the, the test that you take on Facebook, any of that, you, you go straight to the source itself. It says that mystical Judaism, mystical, all this stuff. And when it talks about mystical Christianity, it's a type of Christianity that I would suggest is very, very far from biblical Christianity. Hmm. Um, Gerdoff himself, other forerunners of the New Age movement, would talk about Christianity in such a way where it seems very similar to kind of the Gnostic distortion of Christianity that we hmm. read that we're warned about in the New Testament. Hmm. So it's called Christianity, but it's really not. And so, according to the founders, and again, this is not from like, you know, most people. This is like the founders of Enneagram. They believed that its purpose was to show you secret knowledge so that you could have an awakening of the true self. And again, self is capitalized to show that self is divine. Yeah. And the reason that we don't understand our true essence, the reason we don't understand who we really are is because we have ego distortions. And apparently the Enneagram is the only tool available to show you how to recover. (laughs) Mm. So the only thing out there to give you an awakening, the only thing out there according to their teaching to show you what the universe is really about, to show you who you really are, to show you what's really going on is the one teaching that they hold the keys to. Mm. That sounds a lot like Gnosticism. (laughs) Yeah. And it becomes like a salvation thing, you know, like, this will save you. And I think yeah. that's the part of the issue with the Gnostics. It's like for, for Paul, you know, it was like, you guys, salvation doesn't come through knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, you know, mm-hmm. salvation comes through faith and faith alone. Yeah. And, you know, but I think a lot of people, I keep, I keep kind of backstepping here and saying a lot of people treat this like something like the five love languages, you know, Right. And they keep saying, you know, like, well, this is this is a tool that I can use to better understand myself and my spouse or to fix my marriage. And and that may be true. That that's the thing, is like it may help you better understand what makes your spouse tick and how to better understand their motivations or your motivations and why there's some dysfunction or whatever the case may be. But at its root, it's bitter. It's yeah, it's it's just not it's not biblical. It's not kosher. You know, in our faith, it's like, 
it's got origins that are that are um like you said of of gnostic roots and you have to be very careful like i said you know satan is cunning and he's subtle yeah and again i I don't think i not that i almost know right i I almost could say with like complete certainty most of the people i've met that get into enneagram they they're not told any of these things Mm -hmm. and you know my wife and i when when I started researching this and kind of showed her some of the stuff that I'd seen. And she, you know, read some of the same articles and listened to some of the same material that I introduced to her. She just looked at me last night we were talking about it and she just was like, man, I'm just really, I'm kind of mad that some of these mm-hmm. supposed Christian Enneagram teachers that knew all this stuff didn't tell us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she goes, yeah. cause I would, I'd like to know that. Like I really would have liked to know what I was getting into the doors I was opening, the kind of, stuff that I was seeing because again, my wife and I both were led to this mm-hmm. with the best of intentions with the, I mean, seriously wanting to know each other wanting to know ourselves, wanting to know how to minister to people and then finding out that really underneath the surface of this, there is a lot more that meets the eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's tough because it, it is very efficient way to, to peg people down and, and to say, Oh, they're, I don't know. Is it an eight? They're an eight. You know, they're they're gonna be every room they step into. They're gonna they're gonna attempt to dominate that room. Right. You know, and it's yeah. like you, okay, we can harness that. You know, and we can use that. Maybe make we can give them something that they can dominate. And so you, so it's easy to like peg people with that, and it's very efficient. Mm-hmm. But I think I think the gospel calls us to to look at people um, with fresh sets of eyes, as born again believers you know and i, I don't know it's tough because we got to give everybody we, we we can't take these kinds of shortcuts yeah. and say oh you're a three or you're a one or what you know you're like you can't yeah. i don't know that that's it, it almost seems like you're oversimplifying humanity right yeah like you're, you're you're diminished to a number like oh you're an eight or you're a three or you're a two that's that's what you're doing what you're doing Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or almost, you know, we could do that with ourselves. Like, oh, the reason I'm acting like this is because I'm a I'm a this number. Or the right. reason I struggle with this is because I'm a this number. And in some way, I was telling my wife last night, it almost feels like in one sense, the numbers condemn us while simultaneously mm-hmm. excusing us. So yeah. in one sense, they condemn us because they tell us, here is your chief sin. Here's what you're going to struggle with. Here's your biggest flaws. But it almost at the same time excuses us to say, but all those flaws, all that stuff actually can do something really good in your life. So you don't really need to apologize for that because that's kind of who you are. Mm-hmm. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's a very subtle, subversive way of saying, I, and I, I don't think everybody does this, but I think I have definitely heard of some people doing this. Like, I don't really need to change, man. I'm just, this is who I am. Right. Mm-hmm. So, if you're going to love me for me, you've got to learn how to accept me for who I am. Yeah. And that sounds super empowering and beautiful until we start reading the gospel and hear what it says. <laughs> and that is, we got yeah. to die to ourselves. We got to take our cross and follow Jesus. And, um, yeah. Well, and where, I, where does this, where does this, st- I mean, where does it stop? Like with, I guess this may be more a rhetorical question, but like, so are the Myers Briggs, you know, the, five love languages yeah. remember there's like these four Spiritual animals gifts. yeah yeah you fall into like these four animals like i guess i guess the difference and i'm kind of fleshing this out even as i'm talking about it, it's like the enneagram it seems to have origins that are 
of a more esoteric, mystical, spiritual, um, you know, root, whereas mm -hmm. the Myers Briggs is more of a secular psychological. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't yeah. Know. yeah. It's more. It's more grounded in like um, psychology and personality theory. Yeah, which I don't so, know if that is, you know, I think I think it, it calls us to turn over every stone and be like, right, you know, but well, and I it. think I think anybody can take, like you said, five love languages, the animal thing, that whatever anybody can take any personality uh, profile test and use it as a sword to attack other people mm -hmm. and be like, you're this way because you're this, or they could also use it as a shield to hide behind and go, you can't tell me I'm wrong or I need to change because I'm a this, right, right, right. So the problem isn't with the tools. The problem is with the heart of the person that's using the tools, right? Yeah. So what yeah. we're saying is not, hey, personality tools are bad. What we're saying is lift up the hood, look at the origin, consider where this comes from, right? And then use discernment to really ask yourself, is this something that a born-again, spirit-filled, Jesus-loving mm -hmm. Christian should really be partaking in? Mm -hmm. So... Let's talk for a second about how the Enneagram got into the church. So new age teaching, which is, you know, all the stuff that Gerdoff, Apinsky, Naranjo, Echezo, all that, all those guys, right. Mm -hmm. That's had a very strong influence on Christian mysticism, particularly within Roman Catholicism, um, really strong over the past 50 or 60 years or so. And there's a guy by the name of Richard Rohr, so if Richard Rohr, and Rohr is spelled R-O-H-R, -R, if he sounds familiar, he's the one who wrote uh, the book, An Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. He is kind of, as far as we know, patient zero <laughs> in terms of bringing this thing into the church. He is a Franciscan friar. He runs the Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hmm. And Richard Rohr holds conferences, he holds trainings, he, he's written books about the Enneagram, and he's kind of presented as this, as this tool for self-discovery, for contemplation, for, um, you know, finding the road back to you, to use the um, Suzanne Stable term. She wrote a book called The Road Back to You, and Richard Rohr trained her. So the problem with Richard Rohr is that although he is a Franciscan friar who works in the Roman Catholic Church, he teaches something that is a little bit different from Orthodox Christianity. He teaches basically that God is everything <laughs> and everything is God. <laughs> it is formerly known, and he would never say this out loud because he, he makes it sound super beautiful and poetic and empowering in the things that he says, but he basically teaches panentheism. So he'll say things like the earth is God's body, right? So pantheism says that God is everything. Uh, panentheism says that God's kind of in everything, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he said some things in his teachings like Jesus died and Christ arose. He said things like Christ said things that Jesus would have never said. He said things like Christ began to exist with the Big Bang. He said things like the world was the first body of Christ. <laughs> if you're raising your eyebrows and scratching your head, I know it's weird. So basically, just like looking at those quotes, basically what he's asserting is there's a difference between this idea of Christ 
and Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so he's basically teaching, if you're familiar with this term, Christ consciousness. Mm. Christ consciousness is that Jesus was aware of the divinity within him. Yeah, and he you like can the, be too. Like the universal Christ, I think this is a big thing. Yeah. Yep. And and he's 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 good buddies with uh our friend Oprah, right? Richard Rohr? Yeah, yeah, I think I don't I, think, I don't know. I don't know if there's an Oprah connection there. It wouldn't surprise me though. That sounds yeah, like no, some she's, Oprah. She's had him on, I think, I think multiple times. Oh, she has? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which I mean she's all about, you know the whole shack theology, you know, like the, <laughs> the divine, the universal divineness, you know? And yeah, if it, if it smells like Jesus, but looks nothing like him, or it looks kind of vaguely like Jesus, but it's not mm -hmm. really Jesus, then Oprah's all about it. So she loves it. You get a car and you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. But I think, I think our generation likes people like Richard Rohr because he puts on this brown robe and he looks very intellectual. And we, especially in, you know, like, in Protestant evangelical Christianity, we lack this like rich, deep history, this orthodox history and tradition. Mm -hmm. And so we want to like find something to latch on to that's like, oh, this guy has a brown robe on and he's super intellectual. He seems and, like he speaks with authority because of that. Right, right. And so we're like, oh, you know, and so how many of our, how many of our peers have gone into like, you know, the Episcopal faith or mm -hmm. in, even into like Orthodox, like Greek Orthodox faith because- right. They long for that like deep connection to something that's ancient, you know, and yeah. intellectual. Those those deep roots, those ancient paths, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So he's he's probably the one. He's probably patient zero, as we said. There's probably others, but he's mainly the one responsible for kind of bridging the gap to bring it from mm -hmm. kind of these mystical, esoteric Christian circles into mainstream Christianity. And he first kind of made that gap in the early 2000s. You had guys that were kind of labeled as the emerging church guys. Mm -hmm. um, our buddy Rob Bell was was probably one of those main guys, a guy named Brian McLaren, other people like him. So they were listening to the teachings of Richard Rohr, but at the same time, they kind of had a foot in mainstream evangelicalism because mm -hmm. they, they weren't like full-blown yet in terms of, <laughs> hey, by the way, there's no oh, hell. Really cool. oh, yeah, yeah. So their heresy wasn't full-blown. It was just kind of... <laughs> It was dormant for a while. It was kind of brewing. Mm -hmm. um, and so they were listening to Richard Rohr. And then in 2016, that's when kind of the wheels came off. Mm -hmm. Because uh, Ian Cron and Susan Stable, they both worked with Richard Rohr. They wrote a book called The Road Back to You. And Zondervan Publishing, which for those of you who don't know, Zondervan Publishing is one of the mainstream kind of evangelical Christian, well, I would I would suggest not anymore, but um, they released the sacred Enneagram and Richard Rohr is the one who wrote the forward to that book. And so when that door opened, man, it was off to the races after that. You had podcasts, you had blogs, you had trainings, videos, YouTube channels, social media pages. Mm -hmm. um, it just seemed like people could not get enough of this teaching. Um, and, and one pastor <laughs> out of California, a church called Sandals Church, his name's Matt Brown, he preached an entire sermon series on the nine types. So he would, <laughs> this is so crazy. Somebody showed this to me. And even back when I thought the Enneagram was a good idea, when I saw this, I kind of rolled my eyes. I was like, are you serious? This guy did a whole nine week series on this. Um, he would find characters from the Bible. He would guess their type. And then he would teach the Enneagram using the Bible. 
Mm. So he'd be like, okay, we're going to talk about type ones today. All right, we're going to talk about Martha, right? She's a type one, right? And here's what type ones are like, right? And so (laughs) this like integration of here's the Bible right here and right next to it is the Enneagram. Mm. Um, So here's where it gets really subtle. The justification, when people started asking, okay, so where does this come from? Some Christian writers said, okay, so it comes from our Catholic brothers and sisters, that there was a fourth century desert monk. His name was, um, I think I'm going to say his name right, Eva Grius Ponicus. Uh, I think that's how you say his name. Ponicus was his last name. And they said, okay, so he's the he's the origin story of Enneagram. He was a desert monk. He wrote life patterns. He discovered it from ancient spiritual teachers. Basically, that's non-Christians. And he's the one, this, this Ponicus monk, he's the one who originated the Enneagram and he passed it on via oral tradition. And it kind of has been this Catholic thing that we just rediscovered, right? It's <laughs> only one problem. Um, we don't have any proof at all of this ever existing. But here's what we do know about Ponicus. He was excommunicated. (laughs) He was excommunicated because he was a student of heretical teachings of uh, kind of Gnosticism and Christianity. And so um, in the year 400, he was basically excommunicated. So using Ponicus as kind of your... uh, your origin story to say like, this is valid because we got it from a fourth century desert monk and you're going to use that guy. First of all, <laughs> that doesn't work because there's no proof. Second of all, even if it was him, he was a heretic. So that doesn't really work. Hmm. So that's how it came to the church. Have you seen this in your church? I don't want to say your church, but have you seen this in circles that you've been yeah. around in Christians? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it becomes uh, a very, a very, uh, intense topic of bonding when you find mm-hmm. a, someone else who is an Enneagram follower. It's like it becomes this whole subculture where you can sit for hours and you can talk and then you can say, oh, so-and-so, you know, like, oh, yeah, they're my, this kid of mine, yeah, they're definitely this. And, oh, boy, you know, they're going to be this and this and this. So you begin to, you know, sit in these circles and you talk and you talk. And, um, you know, that's that's the common denominator I dislike about the Enneagram thing is there is an intense focus on self um, mm. that, you know, you're, you're figuring yourself out. You're trying to identify where, you know, who will keep you balanced. In other words, who, you know, that to, to keep that, that, like you said, that yin and that yang going. And that's most of the conversations I've overheard. There is a lot of focus on self. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I just read this yesterday to my students um, in Acts 20, um, Acts 20, verse 28. Paul says, keep watch over yourselves and the entire flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Now we stop there and we think, okay, savage wolves are going to come in and they're going to kill everybody or something like that. But here's what the savage wolves do. Even from your own number, men will rise up and distort truth to draw away disciples after themselves. So the wolves aren't going in and lobbing everybody's heads off. The wolves are just coming in and they're just subtly distorting the truth to Mm -hmm. gain a following for themselves. So I think we have to be, like Paul says, watchful over our flock and be able to identify, 
a mistruth when we see it and call it a mistruth when we see it. Yeah. And, you know, and, and say, hey, that's as subtle as that is, that's that is not biblical in its origins. Let's right. let's not dwell on that. Let's not meditate on that. Yeah. And I think if if anybody that came into this podcast um kind of defensive and and you know not really willing to to give up the Enneagram and kind of you you came into this going, man, I'm I'm not giving this up, but let's just hear mm-hmm. these guys out. Um here's here's what I would just plead with you. Um before you make a decision about what you want to do with the Enneagram, will you pray about it first? Mm. Because here's what the book of Ephesians tells us. It says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Mm. Just think about that. This is in Ephesus, right? So Gabe, mm-hmm. you already showed that story. You, you shared that story in the book of Acts about, I mean, <clears throat> the the <laughs> works of darkness, the occult, man, that was big business in Ephesus. That was the culture of Ephesus. Everybody was doing it, right? Yeah, yeah. And Paul looks at these people who some of them probably made their living through this before they came to Christ. And he just looks at them and goes, Hey, don't take any part of that. That that shouldn't be what you're about. Yeah. Instead, expose it, pull the pull the covers back, lift the hood on it, go, okay, underneath this thing that seems so commonly accepted and everybody's doing it, there's some things that are works of the enemy. Mm. And so don't take any part of it, instead, expose it for what it is. If we're not willing to do that as Christians, if we just say, I'm not going to do that because this works for me, then there is something deeply wrong because we're essentially saying, I'm going to approach the gospel with a very utilitarian attitude. Mm -hmm. Like if it works, I'm going to do it. If it doesn't work, I'm not going to do it. But if it works, then it must be good. Yeah. Well, and then what was the reaction of the Ephesians, you know, in in Acts 19? (laughs) They burned all their stuff, yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, there was that, but also, you know, later there was a negative reaction. where Oh, the riots, yeah. Yeah, so like Demetrius is like, man, this guy is going to like, he's going to rip the rug out from under us. And he gets all these craftsmen who are, you know, they they make idols for a living, the Mm -hmm. the goddess Artemis. And they start shouting them down with like, I mean, they, they get violent and they're like great as Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours. They're shouting these men down. And, and it's like, I think, Did they, do you think that's all they said for two hours? Like I just, oh every gosh. time I preached that in passage, I was like, I don't know if this is all they yelled for two hours, but if they did, I'm sure a lot of people lost their voice that day. That is devotion. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, there, this is, it just hit me. It's just a really funny memory. Um, there's an old John Wayne movie called The Green Beret, and I remember I, yes. I watched this thing just on loop. You know, like Love that when, movie. When John Wayne is in the Vietnam War, and Dean and, Martin's uh, in that movie too, is he? I think so. And he's the point man as they go through patrols on in Vietnam. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, it's such a <laughs> oh, that movie was so formational on my on my child. But anyway, yes. there's a scene in there where John Wayne is like walking around on this 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 base, and you know they're like surrounded by. Um, North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong and stuff out in the jungle. And he's walking around this base and trying to secure it and figure out, okay, what can we do better to secure this base, you know, and make it more defendable. And he happens to look over and down in in the middle of the base, there's this guy wearing U.S. Army fatigues and he's dressed like a South Vietnamese soldier, but he's, he'll take a step and he like looks around and then he takes another step and he stops and he looks around. He's like smoking a cigarette or something, you know, and he takes another step and he stops and he looks around a little bit and he's doing this. And then, and then 
um, then you see, I think it's, I think it's John Wayne's character. He like runs up and he like tackles the guy all of a sudden. And everyone's <laughs> of like, what did. are you doing? You know, he just and punches like, him in the mouth. <laughs> yeah. 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 You remember that scene? And he's like, and he's like, this guy is pacing out for artillery fire. He is, he is inside our camp and he is, he's getting ranges on where our, where all our ammo is and you know, where all the, the barracks are. He's pacing all that out and reporting that back to the enemy artillery and mortar, mortar crews so that they know, you know, the, the angle at the, to set their guns so that, you know, basically he's like, this guy was, was measuring all these distance out and he happened to catch it. And it was like, this, this would have meant certain annihilation for our little camp here. Um, mm. And that's how I feel. Sometimes the enemy does that. He, he will take this little like cell, so to speak, and put it in our faith or in our churches and our congregations and that begins to multiply and to grow, you know, and it's like yeast, it, it, it exponentially grows, but it's just, you know, it seems benign, but then it grows and it grows. And it's like, our job as shepherds is to be like, no, get that out of here. Yeah. That is mistruth. That is origins is rooted in darkness. We're supposed to call out darkness. We're supposed to be overseers of our flock. And, you know, I think, I think we're fulfilling that injunction with this podcast. Yeah. And it, it doesn't make it easy. Um, because I think there are people that, you know, will misunderstand our hearts behind this yeah, and think that basically what Christians are doing in, in being discerning is they're just delighting in, you know, everything's bad. Everything's of the devil. Everything's a cult. You know, you listen to your records backwards. You hear Satan speaking, you know, it's kind of <laughs> like, no, like if everything is of the devil, then nothing is of the devil. Right. Yeah. We're not saying everything's of the devil. We're not saying go out and, you know, burn your kids cabbage patch dolls as some people taught in the nineties <laughs> that cabbage patch dolls were possessed. What we're saying is do what the Bible tells you to do. Test all things, mm-hmm. test all things, man. If you aren't willing to do that, that thing is probably your idol. It's a sacred cow. Yeah. Yeah. If if you're like, man, you can have my Enneagram when you pry it from my cold dead fingers, <laughs> your devotion to your Enneagram probably exceeds that of your devotion to your biblical worldview. And that's a problem. Even if the Enneagram has no shady background to it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And I I don't, again, like I want to be careful about, you know, saying that the fruit of it's bad and all it does is bad stuff. It doesn't all do bad stuff. Sometimes it does really good stuff. Sometimes it leads people to understand each other better. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things that I've found, we had a, um, Christian counselor come and talk to our church staff uh, last week. And he was telling, it was a really great talk. Um, there's about 40 of us um, staff members between the the four different campuses in our church. And so he had all of us as pastors and ministers and church leaders in a room. And he started talking about the seven most common things he sees in his counseling practice, working with ministers. Hmm. And one of the seven, and this was so fascinating to me, and this is kind of what got the wheels in my head turning with this whole Enneagram thing before Adam sent me the text, he said, um, I see people who find more identity in their Enneagram number than who they are in Christ. Mm. And he goes, ministers that find more identity in their Enneagram number than they do in Christ. Wow. He said, some people, some people will introduce themselves before they tell me their name. They'll tell me their number. Yeah. And it becomes almost this like, well, I can't change because this is kind of how I'm wired, right? I'm wired this way because I'm a three. I'm wired this way because I'm a five. Mm-hmm. And, and it almost becomes like a shield for people to hide behind. You know, shields up. 
right? I'm yeah. sorry. I'm always going to struggle with this. I'm an, I'm a this, right? Um, or then it becomes a sword in, in marriage counseling, right? You know, well, you're this way because you're an eight. You're yeah. always this way because you're a four. You're always this way because you're one. And, and instead of going, no, wait a second, Jesus shows up and I'm crucified with him. Mm-hmm. And then I'm raised to walk in newness of life and I've got his spirit. So I am not always doomed to continue to struggle with the same things that my number tells me I'm going to struggle with. That's a lie. That's not true. But when people listen to that more than they do to the gospel and to the scriptures, man, that's a dangerous thing. And that's a, I would even say, man, that's a work of darkness. Like that's, that's not God speaking to you. That's not even the Enneagram speaking. That's the enemy speaking to you, man. Yeah. Like we're always going to have struggles while we're here. And yeah, we might be wired towards certain sins, but at the end of the day, man, like any teaching that speaks over you, you're always going to be this way because that's just how you're wired. I would just say, man, that that doesn't sound like the voice of Jesus. Because uh, mm-hmm. my buddy Mike Lee will say, um, we had him on the podcast a while back. He said that um, yeah. God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. And Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. Mm, I like that. So when the Enneagram shows up and gives you your number, yes, it's going to tell you some strengths you have. But what it's also going to tell you is like, this is you, you're, you're a perfectionist or you're a people pleaser or you want this or you want it. It, 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 it speaks things over you. And I just feel like, man, okay, that may be true, but that doesn't have to be the label that I wear the rest of my life. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like, you know, Philippians 2, um, put on the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, just read Philippians 2, 1 Corinthians 2, um, I think verse, verse 16, it's like, for, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have, we have the mind of Christ. And like you said, that, that should be first and foremost, our identity, the thing that we put on our coffee mug, the thing we put on our shirt, the thing we introduce, you know, we, the second, like the, the second thing out of our mouth after our name is like, you know, I, I'm a disciple, you know, and I'm not like in a literal sense per se, but like people should see that on you, not yeah. your tight, not your number, not your right, right. Myers Briggs, but that guy is a, that guy is a passionate follower of Jesus of Nazareth, you know? Right, 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 right. Yeah. He looks more like Jesus than he does any type of Enneagram number. That's what right. I want to be said by me, about me. So, well, man. So do you think how, how many... <laughs> How much hate mail do you think we're going to get from this podcast? I don't know. You know, I I, I hope we don't. Stacey. I hope people hear our hearts. Yeah, I I hope so. I, I saw Stacey last night. I was, I was, you know, we did this. We started this podcast thing. It's like you know, I've got I've got time to wake up and to to be a voice on the podcast, but to go through and read all the the comments on social media or to check email. You know, it's like I want to do that. I want to have time for that, but I just don't, you know, and, Mm -hmm. but I think that this will generate a lot of discussion, a lot of conversation and a lot of, I think it, I think it will be split. I think there'll be a lot of good, a good feedback. Oh man, I didn't know any of this stuff. Thank you guys Mm -hmm. for bringing this to light. And then there'll be some like, you guys are, you know, like, you guys hate you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Paganoia or something. (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay mm-hmm. with that. I would just say to anyone who's still listening that maybe strongly disagrees everything we just said, um, just pray about it. Yeah. 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 Test all that. things. Hold fast to what is good. Yeah. So.
Yeah. Well, I think we uh, solved all the world's problems today. I think so. Again. Wow. Yeah. 27 times in a row. Look at that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Do you have any questions? Gabe Rutledge is the guy to reach out to. Uh, mm. His personal cell phone number is... <laughs> Just kidding. You can send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us via the Facebook page. Thank you for listening. Hope you have a blessed and wonderful day. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.